0: All right, Ephesians chapter (laughs) 6. If you're a guest with us, please come back next week. Okay, Ephesians 6, verse 5, it says this. Slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling and the sincerity of your heart as you would Christ. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, do God's will from your heart. Serve with a good attitude. as to the Lord, not the people. Knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord. And masters, treat your slaves the same way without threatening them, because you know that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there's no favoritism with him. I'm going to stop there. So before we jump into this, I'm, this is going to be one of those lengthy introduction, short message messages, okay? Okay. Um, when you read this, it's difficult for us, I think, sometimes to hear these things and not automatically start thinking about the slave trade of the 17th and 18th centuries, 19th centuries, even here in the United States, or even modern human trafficking. And you read this and you're like, Ooh, but, okay. you just need to understand what Paul is talking about here is incredibly different than any of those things. He's, he's not saying that slavery is okay. He's not saying it's a good thing. He's not saying a, it's a bad thing. He's simply saying it's a thing. It's it's a thing and a reality and they need to know how to live within the constraints of that those relationships right so okay so so just make sure you, you didn't hear something I didn't say I did not say it's a good thing it's absolutely not good ever okay um, but I am saying that the slavery in Paul's time is is vastly different than what we understand and we need to know that when you read the Bible so a lot of times we read our current situation into their lives. And that's not what they're, they're not dealing with the same things we are. And so we need to understand. This. Sla- slavery in, to- in uh, Tom, I don't know why I just said Tom's time. Slavery in Tom's time was different. <laughs> slavery, slavery in Paul's time was, was very different. It, it wasn't race based on race, okay? Um, it wasn't a black white thing. It wasn't based on um, superiority, although you could argue that once those relationships began, the masters would assume a position of superiority. The people, that were in slavery didn't get dragged into it because they were viewed as someone who was less than the person who was dragging them in. Slavery in in Paul's time was temporary, so it had been completely unrealistic for somebody to be a lifelong slave or generational uh, enslavement that, that we know of in the United States. Usually by the age of 30, if people were in this type of slavery, they were emancipated. It's not based on kidnapping We see both in the slave trade of the 17th through the 19th centuries and modern-day human trafficking. It's not based on kidnapping. Though though there were many prisoners of war, the major source of slaves were those who sold themselves into slavery to pay off debt or sold themselves into slavery even just to, to make money, to provide for their families. It was different because the slaves in Paul's time had rights. They, they could own property. They could bring a complaint against the master. They, they had all of these different things, So and a whole host of other things. So, so I just want you to know, though it's not a great institution, and it still had abuse and difficulty inside of it all, it was different than what we are familiar with, okay? So, so what does it mean for us today? And there's all kinds of different ways you can apply this passage. Today, I am specifically making the choice to to draw the lines to what I think is probably the closest thing uh, that we can identify with in this passage, and that is our employee and employer relationships. So in the book of Ephesians, Paul has been walking through what we have in Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, he talks about how we have redemption. We have the forgiveness of our sins. We have been accepted. Uh, We have been adopted. We are sealed with the Spirit, so we are secure in Christ, Ephesians 2, he talks about how though we were separated from him and and dead in our trespasses and sins, that Jesus Christ, when he came, he raised us to new life. And when he did it, he did it with purpose and intentionality. And he says, you you are my workmanship. You are my artwork. So so you have have been created and, and, and have God's specific design imprinted on you for something specific. And he has called us to live in step both with this design, and the calling. He's told us in Ephesians chapter 4 to live worthy, walk worthy of the calling that you have been called to. That means God invited you into a relationship with him, that you can enter in with Jesus Christ carrying you to the Father's throne. By Jesus Christ laying down his life where you should have died and dying for your sins and then being buried in the tomb and raising again three days later by, by being in Christ, by accepting his finished work on the cross for the payment of your sins, God has invited you into a relationship with him. And Paul says, now you should live like it. So you should live that that should affect every area of your life. That, that work of Jesus doesn't just affect what you do on Sunday morning. It should affect everything you do Monday through Saturday, including Sunday. That means you live with people who you don't have a lot in common with. It means that you live at peace with people who you have conflict with. It means that you uh, uh, um, work with those who are difficult, without complaint. Um, it means you live in a constant state of being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Nothing else. No other external controls. The illustration he uses Ephesians five: "Don't be drunk with wine. Be intoxicated with the Holy Spirit. But I think we can apply that different ways. Don't be drunk with caffeine. We talked about that. I'm still repenting. Don't be drunk with with chocolate. Don't be drunk with CNN. Don't be drunk with Fox News. Don't be drunk with politics. Don't be drunk with your control issues. You you be controlled by the Spirit and only the Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit controls you, the fruit that comes out of that is unthinkable joy, a robust thankfulness, and the ability to submit yourself to other people within those relationships, those meaningful relationships. And then he applies all of those submissions and says, that means you're going to submit yourself to your spouse. You're going to submit yourself to your parents you're going to submit yourself to your children and then today to those who you are intertwined with on a daily vocational basis, to your boss, to your employees. In America, we have a problem when we talk about work because we have swallowed hook, line, and sinker the ancient Greek mythology and philosophy of work unknowingly. I don't think any of you are like, I completely agree with that, but you actually, that's, that's our culture today. We follow the myth of Pandora quite well. And I don't mean the app on your phone. Pandora uh, in, in Greek mythology is the first mortal woman and uh, the wife of Epimetheus. That means nothing, but that. I'm not getting into that whole story. But, but Zeus decides, that the great king or god Zeus of Roman mythology, Greek mythology, gives Pandora and Epimetheus a wedding gift, and it's a box. And, and what kind of lousy gift does he give? Where he says, Here's a box, now don't open it. Now, if somebody hands you a box for your wedding and says, don't open it, what are you going to do? Absolutely. a dumb gift that is. It's worse than a toaster. You guys weren't at my wedding. I'm okay. <laughs> I just thought of that. Hey, okay, I think I'm safe. Um, she opens the box. Well, that's in the box. And when she opens the box, evil and vileness and sin and all these horrible things come out. And one of the horrible things that is mentioned is work. In American culture, we have swallowed that. We view work as evil. Maybe not evil, but it's certainly not the highest good. So the old 80s song was everybody's working for the weekend. The reality is everybody's working for retirement. Retirement. Because our goal in life is to get to the place where we can be independently wealthy, sit on the beach, sip lemonade, work on our tan, and never answer to anybody. And that's not wrong to do. I, I hope to do that this summer, actually. <laughs> now that I think about it. <laughs> and it's not wrong to do. But you got to be careful that you don't adopt the common attitude that makes work the prison that we've got to escape from. Because that's not a good understanding of work. Work, work, okay, well, you know what, it gets difficult. Work is hard, and that's a consequence of sin. Okay, yes, but work itself isn't the consequence of Eve and Adam sinning in the garden. In Genesis 2, work was assigned to the male and the female before the fall, right? Right? And he commands Adam and Eve to work the garden, to cultivate it, to cause it to grow, to expand, to to become more. To to, And then he says, now preserve the garden, now fill the garden. And as Adam and Eve are doing those things, I mean, hand to the plow, they're working and they're cultivating and they're planting and they're seeing the harvest come and they continue to find themselves in, in the garden. They're doing what they were created to do. To work is innate in us because that's what it means to be created in the image of God. It's why we want to be a contributor. It's why we want to be um, people who add value to other people. And and no matter what you say about it, I'm right, wrong, and different, okay? Just set all that aside and moral judgment, okay? The reality is that that is why the apps like TikTok and Instagram explode. It's because in each and every single one of us, there's this innate desire to create something. That's why you can watch a two-year-old labor over this this horrible crayon drawing with the giant crayons, right? And trying to make this perfect piece of art for, for mom and dad. That's why the Lego industry is one of the largest toy industries in the entire world. Because in us is this desire to build. Do you know, you took every Lego brick in the world, it's over 400 billion Lego bricks, and you stack them one on top of another, they would be 2.3 million miles high, 10 times past the moon. That's completely worthless information, but you're welcome. I'm glad I could give it to you this morning. The reality, though, is, is we're all familiar with it, we, and some of us are really good at that, and some of us have found other ways to be good, like gardening or cooking or just being somebody fun to hang out with to invest in other people. So, so work isn't a result of the curse. Work's been affected by the curse, just like everything else. Right? So whatever was created good, now it's broken. Everything is. Food. It's wonderful. Makes you fat. Ha! Okay, drink. Wonderful. Makes you drunk. That's not good. Love. Wonderful. Makes you pretty stupid. Right? Animals. They're so fuzzy, but they want to eat you. So, so sin has affected all of these different things, and the consequences have come upon everything, and that includes work. Work got really hard, after sin entered in. There's sweat, there's toil, there's thorns, there's thistles, and worst of all, there's meetings. Sin came in and took what was meant to be good and broke it. We know that that's what sin did to us. That's why God sent his son to redeem us. And if you're in Jesus Christ, which is basically the whole theme of the book of Ephesians, you're reminded that life is about more than just this. It's, it's about more than just a job. You know, your life is supposed to be about loving God most and loving others best. Not just because the church has it plastered on the wall out there. But that's exactly what Jesus said when he was asked what the greatest commandment was. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor like yourself. Our job is an opportunity to do that. Our job is an extension of loving God most and loving others best as we seek to serve God and other people through our work. So when you work, what you need to understand is that your work is worship. Walking worthy of the calling. This invitation that God extends to you for a relationship through Jesus it means that you worship through your particular calling. You worship through your job. Listen, Frank, I don't know. Sure, you're a pastor. That's easy. You don't know my job. It is not a calling. Actually, that's not true. The, the Latin root for the word vocation is literally to call. So whether you're a doctor, a plumber, a teacher, an IT guy, a pastor, a mechanic, a farmer, it doesn't matter. Your work is worshiped. So when you walk worthy... When you live according to the gospel in every area of your life, what you are doing is you are serving God. You're loving others. Dude, I flip burgers. Thank you. God is using you to provide for me a snack. I wash dishes. Well, thank you. God is using you to keep me from getting sick. I'm a farmer. Well, thank you. God is using you to milk his cows. I'm a mom. (laughs) Oh, thank you you are putting up with all kinds of unspeakable things for the good of our communities and world. This job is our assignment that God has given to us. So when you work, as Paul says in verse 7, you do it with a good attitude as to the Lord, not to people. Because when you work, that's who you're doing it for. All right, Frank, I hate this job. What if I have a horrible boss? What if I just want to do something else? Oh, well. I'm just kidding. That that reaches the lamest joke of the history of Uniontown. You're in luck. God speaks to you if you hate your job. You have a horrible boss and you want to do something else. 1 Corinthians 7, Paul is talking to slaves. He says, are you a slave? Don't worry about it. Serve Christ with your slaveness. But don't be foolish. If you have an opportunity to be free, take advantage of it. 1 Corinthians 7. He lays that out real, really clearly. If you have a chance for a new job, a better job, a job that pays, a job that is in your field, a job with a better management, better supervisor, a job that's going to align with your your, your belief system even better, then by all means, take advantage of that freedom to move to another job. But hear this, without that opportunity, serve Jesus where you are. It doesn't matter how hard it is. Jesus put you there in this season, and he is there with you. He's the one you're working for. Serve with a good attitude as to the Lord, not to people. You're not working for a CFO, a CEO, a boss, a manager, a VP, a president, any of those. You're working for him. and He is worthy of your worship in this moment. So serve in your workplace. He says, with the the right attitude. What does that look like? He uses some of the words here in verse 5. Obey your human masters with fear and trembling. I think terror is taking it too far for sure. The fear and trembling is a reverence or a deference, a go figure, a submission. It's a deep respect of the position that motivates our work ethic. It's understanding that that your boss is in that position and it deserves your respect. The position does. He says, serve in the sincerity of your heart. I love that one. Some of the favorite people I've ever worked with or worked for or who I had the pleasure of being their supervisor, were those people who worked with sincerity of heart. The idea of sincerity of heart is simpleness. What you see is what you get. Nothing flashy, just does what's right. Doesn't look for the crowds, just says yes or no. There's a lack of deception in their motives. There's there's absolutely no politicking in their conversations at work sincerity of heart, a simplicity. We serve with the right attitude, both with fear and trembling, sincerity of heart, and not as eye-pleasers. I don't think I have to spend a lot of time on this one because we're all familiar with what that looks like. Not somebody who's serving to be seen. You do know that how you act when your boss turns their back is just as important, if not more so, than how you act when they're standing there. And, And what Paul is saying is the gospel, the reality that Jesus Christ died for your sins and he's rescued you, redeemed you, ransomed you, he's protected you, he's promised you an inheritance and a hope and he has saved you from death to life and He has, he's given you a, a, made you his workmanship to accomplish certain things and you're supposed to walk worthy. That gospel is supposed to impact and affect every area of your life, even your employment. So that means when you go to work, you do it for the glory of God, not for the glory of man. So what does that look like? You do your best when no one's looking. You are a person who is ma- marked by honesty in all of your dealings. Integrity. That means doing what's right even if it's going to cost you. You treat your boss with respect and honor even if they don't deserve it. You treat your boss with honor and respect even if they aren't around. You avoid grumbling. You avoid complaining. You're not whining and complaining and moaning to your coworkers or or people who aren't part of the problem. And then, so radical, Paul would flip this and say, so all of those things he's talking to slaves about and all of those things he's talking to the employees about, he then flips it. He says, you masters, treat your slaves the same way. So take all of those things and just apply them over here to the boss. If you happen to be the boss... Do it with fear and respect. Do it with sincerity of heart. Do it with, uh, not as a man-pleaser, not as, as somebody who's trying to work to be seen. Instead, do it to serve other people well. And he says, he adds something to it without threats. Without threats. What is, why does he add that? I, I think because the, in the insecurity of leadership at times, when you feel like you're not in control, but you've got to flex a little, You throw out a threat here and there. Now, please don't hear this. That's not saying, hey, if you don't do your job, I'm going to have to write you up. You can write somebody up and still do it with integrity and humility. You can write somebody up at work and still do it with the right attitude. You just got to do it through the lens of worship. The relationship that Paul's talking about in our vocation goes all the way back to the one man standing where there was once two this unity, this mutual submission to one another. That's what our workplaces should look like, a place where everybody is outdoing one another and showing honor. But what if nobody else does, Frank? What if they don't? We'll go back to last week. Um, Fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Well, Frank, what what, what if I do that and it doesn't work? Okay, first of all, I would Question if you actually did that if you asked like that. And secondly, did he say only do it if you see the fruit right now? No. Hard obedience is the obedience where you don't get to see the fruit explode off the tree immediately, which is why we have Galatians 6. In due season, you will reap if you don't give up. What if I what if I it's never noticed that I am that ideal employee who works with the good attitude and and I focus on the Lord and not other people? What if what if that recognition doesn't come? What if I don't get the bonus? What if I don't get employee of the month? What if what if nobody even thanks me? Serve with a good attitude as to the Lord, not to people? Verse eight, knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord. What if no one notices? I got good news for you. The one who adopted you, who forgave you, who redeemed you. The one who's given you new life. The one who's given you security and meaning in life. The one who doesn't just love you, but likes you. He sees you. He sees you. And not only that, you're going to see him. And when you see him, you're going to see him Saying some of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture. When you commit to doing hard obedience, regardless of the immediate reaction and response, someday you will stand before the Lord in heaven and hear some glorious words. Ready? Well done, good and faithful servant. Who needs a parking spot if God's saying that to you? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can delight in you and know that beyond a shadow of a doubt, someday in Jesus Christ, because we're in Jesus Christ, you will delight in us. Father, that's no small thing. It's no small thing to know that our Father in heaven will sing over us, will laugh over us, will dance when we come into his presence. And again, Lord, we know we can't do anything to earn that response from you. That's been given to us because of what Jesus Christ did for us. So Lord, I pray as we consider even that, that it would cause us to live in obedient ways, that we would be willing to say that we're, we're gonna allow the gospel to touch every aspect of our life, that we are gonna love God most and love others best in every area of our life. We're gonna submit to as many people as we can in order to serve them and point them to Christ, even if it's difficult. And we pray, Father, that we would be a church that is known for getting off this hill and loving God like no one else and serving our neighbors like no one else. Not because it's a competition, but because we long to put a smile on your face. Because you are worthy. I ask these things through the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and the power of your spirit. Amen.